Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. In Ephesians chapter 1 of verses 17 and 18 and 19, we are introduced to the prayer that Paul the Apostle prayed for the church at Ephesus. These things are, are really important things. Paul says, I pray that the Lord opens the eyes of your heart that you would be enlightened so that you would know three things. And Paul actually expounds on them. The first thing that Paul prayed that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see was that they would know what the hope of his calling is. When you know what God's called you to do, it gives you that sense of purpose. There's a lot of things we try to figure out in this life and and we wrestle with. How do I know if I'm doing the right career or if I've studied the right studies or am I in the right circle of people or whatever I'm doing? Am I I pursuing the right job or, or whatever the case may be? But whatever you may do as an occupation, let me assure you, that doesn't always mean that that's your calling. Okay, and I want to say this through the lens of a scriptural view of it. When we have a calling from God, Your calling might be an evangelist, but he may have given you giftings to work incognito as a fireman or a policeman or or a teacher. When you know the purpose, what God's called you for, you realize the occupation you're doing down here is only for the season that you're down here. But the callings, the gifts and callings of God we read in the scripture are irrevocable. They're without repentance. God never says, give me back that calling I gave you. You know, when he calls someone to do something, when, when they know, man, God's called me uh, to do certain things. Maybe they're called to missions work. Or in my case, I know I'm called to be a pastor, a pastor teacher. That's my calling. Now, I'm fortunate. I get to, in our culture, I get to do my calling and have it be my occupation. Now, not all pastors get to do that. There are a lot of pastors around the world where they're working other jobs to make ends meet, to take care of their family. And then they preach on Sundays and they give Bible studies during the week. But that's not their occupation. They might be setting type in a print shop or they might be doing any kind of work on the side. Like Paul the Apostle, we read, he's a tent maker. That's right. He made tents, sewed tents by hand for a living. And he says that the work, the labor that he did with his hands, he said that he was able to supply not just his own needs, but all the needs of the men that traveled with him when he went on missionary journeys. He, he must have been a good tent maker. I mean, they must have liked Paul's tents. He did such a good job that he was able to, to earn enough money that he says, I, I never asked of you churches for money. You know what I, what I want to tell some of the American ministers is you should pattern your whole preaching about money the way Paul did. Paul was out there pastoring and and evangelizing and planting churches and doing the work of an apostle for the Lord, one that is sent out to spread the gospel. And yet, we don't have any record of Paul ever saying, I'll take up a collection now. The only collecting we're even aware of that Paul ever did was collecting money to take to the poor, the, the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. He never took up an offering for himself. Can you imagine if we told the ministers today, just follow his example? They'd be like, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? And 
truly, I got kind of introduced to my serving the Lord with a man named Chuck Smith who taught, where God guides, he provides. That was the thing he, he pointed out, that in the scripture, when God guided the disciples to do something, he provided the means they needed. And, and God wanted us to learn to be dependent on him, not on men, but on the Lord, truly, that we would learn that. And, and God can provide through tithes. God can provide through gifts and offerings. But I've seen the Lord provide through many miracles, many, many miracles that, that go beyond the just natural things that people say, well, yeah, get a job and you'll get the money and you'll get this. I, I love to see how God can supply things when we just trust him and follow him and do what he tells us to do. Walk in those appointments that he makes for us. So here in the scripture, Paul says the first thing, he prays for the eyes of their heart to be enlightened so they could know what the hope of his calling is for them. When you know what God's calling is for you, it does something inside. It gives you a hope. Like God has a purpose for me. It's not just to go do a job. You know, some people, they do their job out of a sense of duty, but but they don't feel any purpose, any drive to it. And, and they burn out real quickly. They hate it. Oh, I hate my job. I do it, but I hate it. And I think, I don't get paid much, but I love what I do because I know I'm doing what he called me to do. And that's a wonderful thing. When you, when you know you're called to do that and you know the hope of his calling, oh, you can even endure hard times because your hope isn't in the things of this world. It's in what God's called you to do, his calling for you. Now, that was the first thing that Paul prayed for them. You would know that, the hope of God's calling. What was the second thing that he prayed they would know? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? How much inheritance will we gain being a Christian? How will it be for us when we go to be with the Lord? Are we going to be broke in heaven? I mean, how, how is heaven anyways? Popperville, it's just all run down. There's dirt streets, right? That's what we read about? No. We read about in Revelation that the streets are paved with pure gold. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a mansion for you. He didn't say, I'm going to go make you a little pup tent. I'll be back and it's going to be, well, we're going to have to rough it for the rest of eternity. You got to camp out. No. Now, if we only knew the inheritance that awaits us, if we, if we could have a glimpse of how great it's going to be, we'd be spoiled. We'd be like, don't worry about this stuff down here. I have great riches awaiting me. When we get to heaven, we're upgrading. Even these bodies, these bodies, it says they're, they're mortal. What kind of body does God give us for our spirit when we get to heaven? Immortal. He said this body is corruptible, but the body God has waiting for us is incorruptible. Incorruptible, immortal. If we only could grasp how great the inheritance we have that awaits us, what Christ has waiting for us, the inheritance of the saints. Paul, now, why would Paul pray for this church? That they would know what God's hope of his calling is and what, what the greatness of his inheritance. Why would he want them to know what they have to inherit in heaven? Why, why does he, does that affect my Christian walk, my Christian reaction to people? 
if I recognize that, hey, guys, all that I have down here, what does it say with this stuff down here? Do we take any of it with us? Heaven? No. This stuff is all going to burn, Peter wrote. He said, all the things that we see down here, they're reserved for fire. Don't put your heart on these things. Put your, put your treasure instead in heaven. That's where moth and rust don't destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. Those things last forever. Now, that's what Paul's praying. The first two things, hope of God's calling and the unfathomable riches that he has, that inheritance that's waiting for you. So then the last thing that he says, and then that you would know what the surpassing, surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. If we only knew the surpassing greatness of God's power towards us who believe. I mean, how great is his power? I mean, you read the Bible, all the miracles. Remember when Moses parted the, the Red Sea for them to, tr to go through on dry ground? Did he go, I can only part the water a little? No. He pushed it back three and a half miles so they could all go through. Because you have to get shoulder to shoulder about 1,500 people to be able to march that many people across in one night. You, you can't be bottlenecked in a little groove. You've got to have a big wide space. And it says they went through on dry ground. The Lord didn't just push the water back. He made the ground firm that they could. Now, some of the movies, Hollywood, you know, they make it look muddy or gooey. And the guys are stuck and they're trudging along. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says they, they only do that because they don't believe in the power of God. I personally don't have a problem. If God could part the sea, can he not dry the ground? Does he go, oh! I can only do water. I can't dry the land. No. To the Lord, he's God. If he wants to part the water and dry the ground, no problem. It makes more sense why the chariots and the, of Egypt, those guys, would chase them in. Because if it was all muddy and gooey, would the chariot guys come riding in? The chariot wheels would have sunk. They would have said, no. Can't follow. See, but the Lord was setting a trap. And he pushed the water way back so they didn't even see it. And they got up the courage to chase down the, the Israelites. And they get all the way in. They get all the way into the middle of the sea. And the Lord brings all the Israelites onto the other side of the sea. And says, stand back and see my great salvation. And all of a sudden, the Lord causes the sea to come back together and swallow them up. And today... We actually have discovered that they found the chariot wheels and the and the chariots of those things right in the bottom of the sea. Just coincidence, right? The Lord, oh, the Lord just did that to show off his power. Now, I personally love to read these things because when you learn about what God did for them, it says everything he did for Israel, he did for our example. If God is that powerful to look after them, how powerful is he to look out for us? Think, how many times has God spared your life when you look back? How many close calls were there that the Lord just had to scoot you over? Got to watch out here. He's protected all of us because he loves us. And because of his great power, he has great power. We just sometimes, I don't know, sometimes we forget about it. But Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart would be open." to see this.
When someone's eyes of their heart opens up and they go, wow, God has rescued me. God has looked after me. He's, he's kept his hand on me. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Now, Paul says, these three things, what we just spoke of, these things are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which it says he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and all powers and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. He, Paul is saying what Christ has done for us, these things, what God has available for us, these three things, the, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe, these are working in accordance with the strength of his might. Now, what was God able to accomplish with the strength of his might? Paul doesn't say anything about parting the sea, or Paul doesn't say any, you know, any of the big miracles in the Old Testament. He doesn't refer to any of those. What does he say God accomplished with the strength of his might? This is something really important for Christians to learn. What did God accomplish for us with his strength? The strength of his might, he accomplished what? It says he brought about in Christ with when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. So he raised Jesus from the dead. How much strength did that take? especially since Christ came and paid for all of our sins. All of the sins of the world were laid upon his shoulders for our sake. So now, what's the wages of sin, by the way? Death. He took upon himself, Christ did, the death penalty for all of our sins. Christ bore it. And the power of God was that he raised Jesus from that great weight that was pushing him. I mean, the all of the weight of all of our sins weighed Jesus down. And he took that penalty upon himself. Now Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it. I just give my life freely. I lay it down. But he was taking upon himself the weight of all our sin. And God, with his great might, has raised Jesus, not just from the dead, but Paul says he has taken him and seated him at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is the hand of authority, of power. God has placed him there and by his might, and he has seated him in that, in that heavenly place, far, it says, above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Paul says, Jesus is at the highest place of honor that there is put there by God's power. He put him there. Now, how long does he get to sit there? Not only in this age, but in the one to come. He'll be there, seated in that position forever. That's the seat God granted him. Why would Paul want to tell these young, this young church, 
I pray God opens your eyes to see what he has done. Does that help us in our day-to-day -day lives? If we know how much power, how much power do you think it took to pay for all my sin? I mean, some of you are nice, but some of us were not always good, so we had more sin to deal with. It took great power to pay for our sin. And the Lord, when we understand, he says, that these three things are in accordance with the power of his might that he, he could raise Christ from the dead. And he could seat him at his right hand. But we understand what Christ did to, to die and to be risen for us was he was saving us. If you study other religions, they don't have their leader die for their sins and then rise from the dead and say, everybody, you're forgiven. And I was amazed how many other religions make it all about the person, the follower, having to do the sacrificing. They have to, they have to make all the sacrifices on behalf of their leader. In Christianity, it's the opposite. The leader made the sacrifices for us. Christ died for us. He didn't say, you guys go do it for me. He did it for us, didn't he? And he says, now if Paul says, I pray your eyes would be open to understand this. Because if you know Christ died for you, and you know how great the power was that God had demonstrated when he rose him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and put all things, it says, in subjection to, to Christ under his feet. He gave Christ to be the head of the church, the head over all things. And he gave him to be the, the head of the body, his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. But why would Paul pray for the church that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see these things? Because even, even us as Christians, we don't see it all. We forget we have a great inheritance. We forget we have a great hope of our calling. We, we forget the power, the great power that God has to look after us. We forget. We need the same prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesians, prayed for us. Lord, open our eyes, enlighten the eyes of our heart that we could see what you have for us. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
it's gonna be Do the same.